So, Rebecca, I thought we would talk about burnout and oh. vicarious trauma and secondary. This is a specialty of yours that I wanted to, to talk with you about because some patrons and listeners have been emailing in response to our last episode about that. What do you say? I'm up. I'm, I'm down. Down. You're up and you're down. I'm up to get down. You're up for it and you're down with it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I am a therapist and a professor. Hi, I'm Rebecca Bloom. I'm a art therapist and a licensed mental health counselor in Seattle. Yeah, and you have a private practice. I have a private practice in, in um, South Seattle. The up and coming South uh, nine eight one one eight. Yeah. yeah, and it's called Hill. What's it called? Hillman again? City. Hillman City. Hillman City, south of Columbia City. All right. So this first email is from Patron Lindsay. Hi, Dr. Honda. First, I want to say I love your podcast and I feel that it makes me a better therapist. I work as a therapist at a community mental health center in rural Indiana, which can be challenging. I've been at this particular job for about three years. It's hard not to get burnt out sometimes, though. I was wondering if you might be con- if you might be willing to consider a podcast on how to find meaning in work that has little rewards. I work with a population that is generally unmotivated to change, and they have little resources to be able to change even if they wanted to. I see mostly children, and the parents aren't engaged in making things better sometimes. Rebecca, what do you say to Patron Lindsay about this? Oh, I say Patron Lindsay, I have been there. Uh, When I had that job, I called it being the cruise director on the ship to nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and it's really hard to, I mean, first off, patron Lindsay, you're really holding the most broken part of our society and our society is denying it. And that's just the hardest part. I mean, I think when you're in these jobs, you're sitting with what's really broken in our culture, like that people can't show up for their children, um, that there's not resources that our children need. You know, I mean, these things are heartbreaking. And so of course you're burnt out. Listener Leah also wrote in to ask a similar question. Hi, Kirk. I'm in my final semester of my master's in Australia and have been enjoying listening to your podcast each week. Recently, I finished a six-month placement where I was working with young people who were homeless. They had long histories of trauma, dual diagnoses, self-harming, and were often chronically suicidal. After listening to your recent podcast on vicarious trauma and compassion fatigue with Umberto and Rebecca Bloom, many of what was discussed clicked into place for me, and I had a bit of an aha moment where I realized I had started to to get burnt out in the final couple months of me being at that placement. Reflecting on it, there were times where I had not stayed on the boat, as Rebecca mm. mentioned. A couple of my clients stayed on my mind after work. I often felt low in energy. I, was, I wasn't able to sleep well at night before going in to work there. I was avoiding seeing friends as regularly. I've since finished up at that organization and moved on to a less chaotic placement, which has allowed me to return to feeling more myself. But your podcast really hit home and raised my awareness about my own self-care and self-reflection considerably. So thank you. Rebecca, what do you have to say about that? Uh, Yeah, some of these placements aren't meant for people to stay forever. I mean, there's this joke in our field of like, 
you know, bring them in and chew them up and ship them out and bring in a new crop of young professionals that need training. I mean, it's really sad, but it's really true that some of these jobs are just really, really heartbreaking and, and hard to stick with. Um, so I'm sadly not surprised to hear her comments and how burnt out she was. Yeah. The things that I remember doing when I worked in these kinds of uh, places is I remember saying a lot to myself and to others is that I'm planting seeds, Mm -hmm. I would say. In other words, in this moment, I have no evidence that my therapy is helping at all. Their life is the same as it was last week, and they're just as depressed. They're just as conflictual with their family or whatever. And I'm, but I'm working my ass off and the clients are often working their asses off too. And, but just nothing is changing. And I would just say to myself and I would say to them sometimes, it's like, well, we're planting seeds for the future, seeds that will grow over time. And I was lucky enough to have some clients that I was able to see that actually, you know, develop that seed, develop into a seedling and into a tree. Um, but most of my clients were short term and I wasn't able to see that. So I would often just try to have meaning, derive meaning and, you know, energy and fortitude through the just saying I'm planting seeds for the future. Did you ever tell yourself that when you? Yeah, were- I mean, really, I, it's like, you know, I'm I'm working on something big here. Some some of the stuff I'm working on is me. Yeah. Working on my skills and working on my professional identity. Uh, the clients, you know, they may not get better. That's really hard. Um, when you say you're working on you, what do you mean? You're working on I'm working getting on, better? Yeah, my professional skills. Yeah, you figure like this, the skills I learn in this tough job are going to help me with whatever future job I have. And and it's true. And I mean, I guess I can say like, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, but that actually was true that, you know, you are laying your professional foundation and may not be where you th- what you thought it was going to be like, but. Yeah. You know. Well, for listener Leah, uh, she's saying, yeah, I mean that, well, but for patron Lindsay, she, she's stuck at a community mental health center in rural Indiana. Right. It doesn't sound like she is planning on moving on so what do you think could help her have meaning in her job uh, I think that it would be great to I hope that her job somehow pays for trainings and yeah. if there's a way to kind of get out and get trained in something that helps in settings like this like for me motivational interviewing really helped in a setting like that or yeah, like I would I would piggyback on that solution focused therapy is similar. So yeah, absolutely. That could, it helps become more effective and it helps us to cope better because the, the tenants of these forms of therapy don't rely on you trying to make a client to do anything. Right. It gives it back to the client and that maybe some of their experience is it's not going to change. And yeah. I would also put an intergenerational trauma context on it, and that is really helpful for me too. When you see these problems that are so big, these clients that are so stuck, um, that really yeah. there are intergenerational patterns going on that began way before you got there and will go on way after you leave. Um, and so to start to put your work in that multi-generational framework um, 
yeah. helped me. Help, helps to understand, look, where I'm not just working on this one person's self-esteem. I'm, I'm working on perhaps centuries of traumas, and that's going to take time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, other things are that I thought of were take breaks, take vacations. Mm-hmm. Uh, also advocate for better working conditions. A lot of times when you're working at these mental health agencies, they will push you to be as, quote unquote, productive as possible, meaning having as many face to face hours as possible, because that's how they can build a state. And that's unfair to the workers and will destroy your morale and you will get burnt out and you're not going to be any good to anybody if you're burnt out and or quitting the job. So advocate for better working conditions and higher pay which might involve actually, you know, going to your government and saying you need to allocate more money to this sort of thing. I I think there's I personally so I was talking to an applicant, someone was applying to the CFT program last week and I was interviewing this person and they were experienced in the field, had been working as a bachelor's level therapist or counselor for you know, two or three decades and is now getting full, you know, education and licensure to become legitimate in the, in the industry. But this person has already been practicing and has been observing the internship process Mm -hmm. and is extremely bothered that interns don't get paid. Mm -hmm. And is also extremely bothered that therapists and counselors at these mental health agencies don't make much money. Mm -hmm. And so we had a long conversation about that or a conversation about that. And the thing that I just thought about after we had the conversation was why as an industry are we not picketing outside of our state capitals or the federal capital and saying, if you want the world and our country to be a better place, all you have to do is dedicate 0.01% of what you give to the military Mm – to mental health, you you don't need it's a small amount could make such a huge difference because not only would you just have more resources, but you could actually pay the workers what they deserve to be paid, and then they don't quit right. these or and they don't get because for patron for patron Lindsay, imagine if Lindsay got paid two three times as much. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes it a lot more easier to cope with. Let's just, I mean, the work can be difficult. I mean, this is why ER doctors and nurses get paid a lot because it's stressful and so they get paid, you know, accordingly. And so uh, if you're paying uh, these community mental health therapists who have master's degrees and, you know, they might be in debt up to fifty, dollars $100,000 and you're paying them $20 an hour. Or less, way less. Or less. Yeah, I got paid when I got my job. This is twenty years ago. I got paid thirteen dollars yeah, an hour. That's what I got. And I was and I was happy with that because all of my friends were getting paid eleven dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. Again, this is twenty years ago. But but and and the reason for this is not because these community mental health agencies are assholes. It's because they don't get enough money, and their primary source of income comes from state funds, from Medicare. Actually, from I guess it's federal, or I don't know. Anyway, it's from Medicare. It's the state and medical insurance. And the only way that 
these community mental health agencies are going to make more money is if those and and Medicare pays you know notoriously little money for services that are quite expensive you know for instance I, I charge $140 per session and my guess is Medicare probably pays like $30 per session or something like that you know and so uh, because that's just what they've decided because they're a huge organization. And if, and if you don't like it, you can, you know, go somewhere else, which means you can't even serve these people anymore. So I don't know. Do you th I think we should rise up. But the thing is, is that most of the people in power in our field no longer work at these community right. mental health agencies right. anymore. They're all in private practice right. making a ton of dough. And so they're like, well, what do I care? Right. Um, and I think that's a problem. Yeah, I think the rate of what mental health care providers get paid is so nominal uh, that people really do the, the work because something in them is um, asking them to do the work. And then unlike other hard jobs like school teachers, they don't get a break. They do this job year round. Um, and then there's tremendous turnover in these jobs or people are behaving in a kind of burned out way. And so then the clients aren't getting the help that they need. I mean, it's this really vicious cycle. Yeah. And usually when I see people getting upset about this, they blame the agencies. Mm -hmm. and, and all I can say is like, it is not their fault. These agencies are often nonprofit and no one is making money. It's not like the, you know, the, the CEO or the director of these agencies is driving a Lexus or something, you know, it's, it's the the problem is is our government and the problem with that is our society and just no one cares no and the reason why they don't care is because I think is because we're not raising enough awareness we're not hitting the streets we're not picketing we're not screaming loud enough and I think I think we need to do that well mental health is so stigmatized yeah that you know who wants to talk about it and who can put the pieces together that that person who is schizophrenic and disorganized is that way because, you know, services are so poor in this city and they should really be on inpatient, but there's not enough inpatient beds. And so if something goes wrong, we're going to put them in the jail. And then in Washington State, the state regularly gets sued by the federal government for their lack of providing mental health care and jails. And it's just like this huge, horrible spiral that goes on and on and on. Right. Just passing the buck. And I just want to also point, paint a picture that uh, most of clients are not severely mentally ill. They're not schizophrenic. They're not bi severely bipolar. They're families who are depressed or anxious or having trouble with parenting or poverty or marginalization or, you know, they don't speak English or they are being terrorized by their neighbors or, you know, they're the the vast majority of clients anecdotally for me are are just you know your everyday people who with a, just a little bit of support can improve their lives quite significantly and so i don't know anyway um the other thing i'll say is get support from your colleagues and and superiors uh patron lindsay you know when you work at this community health agency you got to you got to you got to talk it out, you know, and there's a way of talking about it that can create more morale. And there's a way of talking about it with your colleagues that can create less morale. I've worked at these agencies and I've and I found that it's 
easy for people to, when they get together for coworker, you know, you get a group of therapists together. It's easy to get around a table and just start complaining and complaining and complaining. And I recommend that people vent by all means, but it has to be within a context of, you know, purpose and of meaning and of hope. And it can't be just only pessimism because that will feed on each other and make you feel even more burnt out. And so what I – and I've been part of those conversations thousands of times. And what I try to do when I'm aware of it is I try to insert positivity. You know, like I might complain and complain and then I'll be like, you know what, but – it all kind of makes it worth it because I was working with this one client and they're actually improving and they, you know, left the session and shook my hand and said, thank you so much. And, you know, it's moments like those that, you know, really make me feel like it's all worth it. You know, like there has to be some kind of hope in those conversations. Otherwise, it just ruins your morale. Have you found that to be true? Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes you have to be part of the solution, even though it feels like there's no solution anywhere. So one of the things that I did when I worked at Asian Counseling where people got really hopeless because this is their community and they're here to serve their community and, you know, the PTSD is so intense and the problems just go on and on. And so I uh, did an art hour once a month and it was just like an open house. If you've got time, come by, make some art. Um, And it, did a lot to boost morale and my connections to people. And I really had to sell it to the management, like, hey, this is going to make people feel better and build bonding. And there used to be funding for that type of stuff. People used to understand that team building was an important part of mental health services. Now with the pressures on paperwork and kind of the way our culture is now, there's less of a focus of being a team and connecting. And I think that's a, a big problem. So part of it might be, you know, digging deep and being like, you know what, let's all go out and play softball together or just do something that's not work related and can build community and it can really, uh, it can really help. Yeah. Perhaps that should be your side gig is providing art therapy to providers, group group, group (laughs) activities for providers for burnout, you know, and what I'll say is about that is the primary, I don't know, uh, element of that will change, that will make the difference there is leadership. Mm-hmm. The leadership have to be interested in that and have to focus on that. And it, and as a, a program director myself, I have to say there's a lot of shit on my plate and that can easily just become put on the back burner, you know, of, of – morale and team building and, um, you know, just bonding among, among the workers. And because there's just so many other things flying at my face (laughs) that I have to take care of. But as you talk about this, it's reminding me that I need to focus on it. So thanks for reminding me about that. Well, and I've recently just had a great experience with this. I'm a part of a professional organization and our 40th anniversary was coming up and I was like, Hey, we should have a party. And I learned that this organization had never had a social party, ever. And I was just blown away. It's like, come on, guys. Like, let's get to know each other off the clock. And, like, you know, maybe meet 
each other's kids or each other's spouses, like kind of humanize each other. Yeah. Yeah. And it was so sweet to be at this party and get to know everybody. And people that I thought I had nothing in common with, we had enough time to like sit around and over some cheesecake. You know, I learned like, Oh, you were, you're obsessed with music. I'm obsessed with music, you know? And it, those connections that get built in those social times make a community that ends up supporting each other. Right. And strangely, I found without those things, you can work side by side with someone for literally decades and never know them at all Mm -hmm. (laughs) and never know even the basics about their lives. So, yeah. What organization was that? Do you want to? Yeah. So I'm a part of the Women's Therapy Referral Service. Yeah, that's what I And we're celebrating our 40th anniversary and uh, we just had our 40th anniversary party and it was very, very sweet. Is that Seattle based? Yes, that's only in Seattle. So if you're a Seattle-based area therapist and you want to be a part of the Women's Therapy Referral Service? Yes. If you're a female therapist with at least two or three years experience in private practice and you're looking to grow your practice, you can apply at the website. Yeah, I uh, supervise people that are part of that organization and they tell me that they get a lot of clients through there. Yeah. And it's a it's a it's a good way to build your practice. Yeah, it's really so, worked out for me. Yeah. So the last thing I'll say to listener Leah and patron Lindsay in particular in terms of what to do about burnout is to think about is this really what you wanted to do with your career? When you decided to go back to graduate school and become a therapist or counselor or psychologist or whatever you are, is this what you envisioned for yourself? Because if it is, then you're in line with your goals in life and that's good. But for many people, this is not what they thought they wanted to do because, you know, one of the things that I'll tell interns and supervisees that are just after graduation, I will say that if they want to, they can set a goal for themselves, a realistic goal, that they will eventually only treat clients who actually want therapy. Mm. And they will look at me like, "Are really?" You know, they, they'll look at me like I'm crazy. You know, and I'll and I'll say, "Yes, you are entitled <laughs> as a professional if you want to only work with people who actually want your help, because at these community mental health agencies." Unfortunately, a lot of these people, they don't actually want help. They're, right, they're being, state mandated. Yeah, or they, they're blaming, you know, like you have a parent blaming their kid and you have a kid blaming their parent and neither one of them actually wants therapy. And there is this sort of indoctrination that a lot of interns will go through because they will have these, you know, kinds of jobs where they get all these difficult clients and they quickly, you know, sort of, again, become indoctrinated into this culture of, you know, most of my clients don't want therapy and they don't say that out loud, but they, that's just, and a lot of these interns will be kind of desperately trying to convince their clients to participate in therapy. And I've been there, believe me, I, you know, I paid my dues for years. (laughs) Um, And so I know what that feels like and it feels awful. Well, I'm at a point now in my career where every single client that comes to me wants my help Mm -hmm. and I don't have to convince them to be in therapy at all. 
And if I ever come across, which happens, you know, rarely, a client who seems to exhibit some ambivalence about being in therapy, I'll just have a conversation with them and I'll, I'll very quickly say, if you don't want to be in therapy, you know, then I don't recommend going to therapy. I, I don't say it in a mean way. I just, I just say, you know, therapy is for it's hard people. work. You got to want yeah. it. Yeah. And it's, you know, frankly, a waste of your money and time to come to therapy if you don't actually want therapy and therapy isn't for everybody and maybe you're not ready or, you know, or, or maybe the impetus that brought you to therapy was dubious, you know, like, you know, your spouse told you you should go to therapy, but you never actually thought you needed therapy. Um, and so, you know, I, at this point in my career, I have the luxury and privileged because I have enough you know, supply coming my way. And plus it's only my part-time job since I'm program director of, at a university, but I will on the drop of a hat, I will, I will drop a client because it's so bothersome to me to be talking to someone professionally that I get the distinct impression they don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. And so, so if you're burnt out and the majority, if not all your clients don't want to be with you, then you really have to wonder if this is the job that's really best for you. And there are so many other jobs other than community mental health. Now, rural Indiana, I don't know, because I'm not there, but you know, uh, private practice, obviously, uh, will often be more rewarding. It carries with it a lot of risk, and it's hard, but uh, people usually have more satisfaction there. You can consult. There's a lot of random gigs for consulting, but you have to sell yourself and you have to seek those. You have to network a lot and you have to sell yourself. You can teach. That um, can break uh, that um, you know burnout sometimes by teaching. You can supervise. There's online opportunities. Actually, for rural Indiana, uh, I know people, I don't know that much about it, but I know people, I've supervised people who actually will, there's a lot of online therapy Great, happening. Yeah. And these people are likely to actually really want therapy. Now, maybe it's not for you and because I don't do online therapy because I don't – it's just not my thing. But that's another opportunity. Um, you can work in schools or you can even just do school consulting on different things. You can become a research assistant of some kind. There's just a lot of different gigs. Um, and you know, so overall, just don't be afraid to say – I'm burnt out. Why am I burnt out? Well, it's because this is not the job that I wanted when I started down this road. Mm-hmm. I'm. I, this is not the vision I had for myself. Uh, the vision I had was something else. And don't be afraid to say that, and don't don't be afraid to pursue that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I uh, I totally agree with that, and I also think the psychoanalytic perception would know that some of the burnout and frustration you're holding for your clients. Right. And for the system. So just remember to give some of that back. And whenever you can, look at things with fresh eyes. Um, yeah. Yeah. You are the receptacle, the holding environment, the therapeutic uh, encompasser of a lot of pain and a lot of frustration and a lot of uh, societal problems. And if you can see it that way, it might help you to cope with it. 
uh, you know, at the end of the day, if you feel a little uh, negative or pessimistic or burdened, uh, instead of saying what's wrong with me, you say, well, this is, you know, this is me helping. I, I am, I feel weighed down because I, uh, it's my purpose in life to help people. And I took on a lot of other people's burdens today and helped and helped carry it with them. And that's going to make me feel tired sometimes. And, and if, and if you see it that way, it provides more meaning and purpose, which is, I guess the last thing I say, which I didn't think about earlier is finding purpose in what you're doing to endure difficulty. Uh, you need to have meaning in that and you need to have purpose. You know, Viktor Frankl, the famous Viktor Frankl, uh, was in Auschwitz, I believe, and during World War II, and famously uh, endured difficulty because he derived meaning from it. He, through you know, quite possibly the worst human experience you could go through. Throughout all that, he fought ac- actively to derive purpose and meaning even though he thought he was soon to die Mm -hmm. and and he found that he coped better with it um, and that other people had vastly different experiences than him even though he was side by side with them at, at these camps during world war ii and so as you go through these difficult times at these community mental health agencies is there meaning that you can find? Now, I and no one else can give you that meaning because that's a personal thing. You can talk about it with us and we could throw stuff out to you, but that's something that comes from you. If you have no meaning and you're just suffering, then, yeah, you're going to get burnt out real quick. Do you agree with that, Rebecca? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it can be – the meaning can be – this is for my training. This is for my long-term goals. I mean, I always talk with people like eyes on the prize here, people, you know, like yeah. you will be here. You won't be here forever. Yeah. So what can you do outside of here or what can you do yeah. inside of here to keep yourself going? Yeah. I have this whole thing about how do you hold on for hope, both for your clients and for your career. Um, that, you know, you just sometimes you got to go really tiny and then sometimes you got to go really big. Like, do you need to go to your state capital? Do you need yeah. with all of your buddies and hold up signs about adequate funding for mental health providers in your place? Do you need to invite clients along to go with you? Do your clients know that you're making 12 bucks an hour? You know, I mean, I think uh, the, uh, activism can be really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I, all those are, Wonderful ideas. Do you need to uh, unionize? Like, you yeah. know. Yeah. That'll, you know, give That'll you That'll shake things up. Yeah. Yeah, funny, you know, that we don't have – are there therapist unions, counselor well, unions? Well, so when I worked in New York, I was a member of the SEIU, and I started yeah. at a livable wage, and I got four weeks vacation my very first year. For counselors? For counselor, yeah. Because that's the union that – I'm a part of as a as a Antioch professor is SEIU. Yeah, I mean, I think you know it. So they so they they're usually for educators, but they also get counselors in there too. I think yeah, there's a whole kind of uh, healthcare wing. Okay. 
Yeah, the other meaning that I uh, might throw out there, in addition to what you were saying, Rebecca, is the meaning of of being a good human being. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I can't say this for everyone, and and it's just how I see these things. When I hear Patreon Lindsay talking about the difficulties she's enduring at a community mental health center in rural Indiana, I think she is a noble human being who is dedicating her blood, sweat, and tears to making the world a better place, planting one seed at a time. She's, she's there with people who would otherwise be ignored. She's, at the very least, listening to them talk about their difficulties. She's there with them. Maybe things aren't getting better, but things would be a lot worse if Lindsay wasn't in the world listening and being there with those people. And Lindsay should go to sleep at night uh, with the thought that she did her part in this screwed up world to make it a better place. And she could she could stay at it, you know, because a lot of the meanings we're sort of pulling is like, well, you know, you have a shitty job that you'll leave eventually, you know, and and there's a lot of people that will work at community mental health for one reason or another for their for their entire career. And and so I offer that up as as a very, I think, legitimate uh, narrative about what you are doing. And I don't think there's enough talk about that. Um, you know, if if you're a, a charity, uh, if you raise money for charity, you're, you know, you're Russell Wilson, and you go to the hospital every Friday. You go to Children's Hospital. Doesn't he go to Children's Hospital every I think it's every, every week? Tuesday. Every Tuesday. It wouldn't be Friday because that's too soon. So Tuesday makes sense. So every Tuesday, Russell Wilson, quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks goes to Children's Hospital and hangs out with the kids. And I'm getting a little teary just thinking about him doing that. But it's a wonderful thing. But he gets tons of fucking press and gets praised all the time, which is, you know, deserved. But how how about the thousands of other human just beings do that are it. doing this? Yeah, with no press. And their family members probably even wonder why they're doing it. And... So, you know, I'm not going to change that in our society, but at the very least, internally, you can tell yourself with confidence that you are doing your part. And, you know, when you're on your deathbed, you can look back and say, I tried and I tried hard and I did good work and I was there with people and I listened to them when no one else would listen to them. And I, I you know, walked right up to the chaos of our society and I and I stayed there as a stable force in these people's lives and you should you should get so much inspiration and meaning and purpose from that I, I think and that goes for really any job uh, that's similar it doesn't have to be a community mental health I mean you can say that about yourself in private practice too um, well, and, and I, you know because there's so many different things Rebecca you and me we're smart people right I, I hope so and we're privileged. Let's just be frank. Yeah. And we could have done anything. You know, mm, I don't know if I could have done anything. Well, you know, we could do. We could have done a lot of things. And 
there are a much more lucrative jobs that you know we could have dedicated our time to. Um, and you know, I think we should be able to say to ourselves when times are tough, not in a narcissistic entitled way, but in a in a per- life purpose way. At least I do to myself. I I say that's why I chose this profession to begin with was because I wanted to feel good about my efforts. I wanted to say to myself one day when I know I'm about to leave this planet, I want to be able to say that I tried. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, I, I, I can say that to myself and I don't think that that's narcissistic. I think it's, um, I think it's, uh, I don't know. What do you think? Am I, well, being narciss- I, I, I don't think it's narcissistic, but I was going to say it in a different way, which is that it, at different times and different cultures, different things are valued in a monetarily spiritual way. Yeah. For some reason right now, the work that we do is extremely undervalued. That doesn't mean that our call to do it is any less. Yeah. Particularly the work that people do in community mental health. The hardest work. Hard, hard, hard. Yeah. I think what you and I do is actually valued quite a bit, you know, in terms of money, you know, because we get, you know, per hour we get, can potentially get paid quite a bit, I think, in some ways. Um, do you disagree with that? Um, uh, I guess, you know, I would have a different conversation like insurance companies, you know, like Cigna thinks I should make like $53 an hour for what I do. Yeah. Like this is actually totally off the subject, but this is one of my biggest fears about the Trump presidency is that he wants insurance companies to be able to um, go across state boundaries and even negotiate more for lower prices for the services that they provide. Um, So there are people who really don't understand the value of what I do. And I get nervous about them being able to even lower the price. Yeah. That's the value of what I do. So, um, yeah, I think that community mental health is ex- really um, t- to like epidemic, epidemic standards uh, undervalued for the way it keeps our communities safe. Yeah. And, um, you know, there should be a, a take your community mental health worker out to lunch day. Yeah. Uh yeah. On your side note, I'll say a side note. Have I dropped Cigna a while back? Have you considered that? I don't even take them. I'm just using them as an example of how bad okay, it yeah, yeah. Oh, Okay. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I dropped Cigna a long time ago for, for that reason. Yeah, they, they're the worst. They, I think they pay the least amount. Um, but people might not know that or understand that and think like, oh, this insurance is cheap. I'll sign up for it. The reason yeah. it's cheap is that it pays the providers who are trying to make a living not a livable wage. That's why it's cheap. Yeah, like, yeah just to, for the listeners' benefit, Primera, which is Blue Cross in Washington, per session, uh, off the top of my head, I think it's $118 per session. Mm-hmm. And then Cigna would pay 50 or less dollars per session. So... Now, to the client, the copay is the same. So for the Primera client, it's $20. And for the Cigna client, it's $20. But but what's paid to the therapist is like a third of what is being paid. And so you have these – so when you 
are you know choosing what insurance to have at your employment, which is often the case, and you're looking at Premier and you're like, wow, Primera per month is a lot of money and Cigna is very cheap. Well, there's a reason for that. It's because they pay their therapists very low. And so what happens is people like Rebecca and me will will avoid becoming preferred providers with Cigna because we don't want to have such low reimbursement. And so uh, a lot of talent will not become preferred providers. So the preferred providers that are given to you by your insurance company are people that um, are at the beginning of their career is, is the thing. Uh, which isn't terrible, right. but it just, it should it just should be considered when you're making a choice about what insurance to go yeah, with. Yeah, so people will say to me, like, I can't find any provider that works with this insurance. And it's like, yeah, you might want to check if you have an open choice at your website. I mean, at your job, you might want to check the website first to see. All right, I got to go, mister. I have a okay. Watsu massage that I got to go to. What is a Watsu massage? You look up the video and you're going to freak out. You're going to want one. You're going to want to hear about it. But it's like. So imagine like standing on you. Is that the it's one? It's in or? the water. It's in a pool. Whoa. I want one already. All right. Well, that does it for an episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it and get a Watsu <laughs> massage because you deserve it. Please float in the water of eternal bliss. You deserve <laughs> it. Especially you burnt out therapy. <laughs> you need it more than anybody. That's why I'm getting it. <laughs>